0: O Glorious His, the Seminal Abodhis. Yeah. Oh, Glorious to Sri Guru and Sri Guranga, O oh, glory to Sri Sri Lapa Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. 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 Nama Om Vishnabhadaya Krishna Vrishitaya Bhutadeshi Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Sarasota Deve Gauravani Prachadane Nirvvishesha Sunyavadipashtachadesha Tadane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gada Dhar Srivastati Gaurvaktar Vinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna, Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Rama Rama, Rama, Rama Hare Hare reading from canto 7 of Shima bhagavatam um, chapter 4 verse 40 nadati utkānta utkranta tadim parisuddhanam vilaja nṛcati tad bhavana Yuktas tanmayo <tries> nu Exc- exclaims loudly, Kvacit, sometimes, utkanta, being anxious, Villodja without shame, Nritjati, he dances, Kvacit, sometimes, Kvacit, sometimes, tat bhavana, with thoughts of Krishna, Yukta, Yukta. being absorbed, absorbed. tatmaya, thinking as if he had become Krishna, anuchakara, Anuchakara. imitated, ha, Ha. 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 Indeed. indeed. Translation sometimes upon seeing the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Prahlad Maharaj would loudly call in full anxiety. He sometimes lost his shyness in jubilation and began dancing in ecstasy, and sometimes being fully absorbed in thoughts of Krishna, he felt oneself, oneness, and imitated the pastimes of the Lord. Per report, Maharaj sometimes felt that the Lord was far away from him and therefore he called him loudly. When he saw that the Lord was before him, he was fully jubilant. Sometimes thinking himself one with the Supreme, he imitated the pastimes, and in separation from the Lord, he would sometimes show symptoms of madness. These feelings of a devotee would not be appreciated by impersonalists, one must go further and further into spiritual understanding. The first realization is impersonal Brahman, but one must still go still further to realize Paramatma, and eventually, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was worshipped by the transcendental feelings of a devotee in the relationship of Shanta, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsaya or Madhurya. Here the feelings of Prahlad Maharaj were in the mellow of Vatsalya, filial love and affection. As a child cries when left by his mother, when Prahlad Maharaj felt that the Lord was away from him, he began to cry. Nudity. Again, a devotee like Pralad sometimes sees that the Lord is coming from a long distance to pacify him like a mother, responding to a child saying, my dear child, do not cry, I am coming. And then the devotee, without being ashamed due to his surroundings and circumstances, begins to dance, thinking, here is my Lord, my Lord is coming. And thus the devotee in full ecstasy sometimes imitates the pastimes of the Lord, just as the cowherd boys used to imitate the behavior of the jungle animals. However, he does not actually become the Lord. Prahlad Maharaj achieved the spiritual ecstasies described herein by his advancement in spiritual understanding. So as previously, there's a description of the symptoms of Prahlad, and these symptoms are, uh, we say, ecstatic symptoms, uh, calling out, dancing, uh, being shameless, uh, imitating the pastimes of the Lord. We see that the gopis in separation from Krishna would sometimes enact as pastimes. and there's a whole section um, in the uh, part dealing with the Ras and when they were separated from Krishna, then they began to perform different pastimes of Krishna, like uh, killing of Putana or Damodar Lila, etc, uh, imitating the pastimes of Krishna. So this is a high level of um, say, prema in which the uh, devotees identify with aspects of the Supreme Lord. For the devotees on a lower level, uh, this may not seem so significant, uh, why we have to hear all of this, because we're on such a low level, we have no real understanding of how these ecstasies manifest or how they operate, but uh, these descriptions are there to show the manifestation of bliss in relation to the Lord, and that bliss is manifested to these different symptoms, like dancing and crying, etc. Of course, as I mentioned yesterday, that sometimes the joy does not seem to be joy because it looks like lamentation, and therefore uh, Prahlad is crying and weeping. But actually, even that is part of the bliss of prema. So it's all a manifestation of bliss. So we often say that the whole goal of life is to go to the spiritual world and experience eternal bliss. So that's a natural uh, uh, aspiration of everybody. No one wants suffering. Everybody wants happiness. And if we want happiness, we want eternal happiness. We don't want mixture of happiness and suffering. We'd rather have pure happiness. So that means eternal happiness. We don't want a happiness that has an end. We want something that goes on forever. So, that's the aspiration of all jivas, even those in the worst parts of ignorance. They're aspiring for eternal happiness, ultimately. Of course, they they don't have a proper conception of what that happiness means, what are the conditions for that eternal happiness. Nevertheless, uh, it's the nature of the jiva to aspire for that happiness. Why? because uh, the jiva, by his definition, has consciousness, and consciousness means awareness of things, so therefore the jiva can have knowledge of things, and apart from knowledge, the other aspect of consciousness is experience. Uh, The jivas experience things. And, of course, we can have two types of experiences. We can have experiences of suffering, are we gonna have experiences of happiness. And of course the Jiva doesn't like the uh, suffering experiences, he wants the happiness experiences. So we can say the very nature of the Jiva is because he is an experiencer or a, a bhokta. Uh, his eternal nature is to aspire for happiness, experience of happiness. That's his nature and therefore it's natural, even in the material world, when the jiva is covered over with gross and subtle bodies, he's still aspiring for that happiness, but he's doing in the wrong way. Huh? So, it is natural that uh, that is there, but it has to be, we see, we, we have to understand that to get that eternal happiness, we have to follow a certain process. Huh? And we cannot concoct our own process in doing so. We have to follow the Uh, method outlined in the scriptures. So that is why we have scriptures. So the ultimate purpose of scripture, therefore, is not simply to lay down laws and make the jivas obey different uh, laws, but rather it is to lead the jiva so that he can experience that eternal happiness. So It's for the benefit of the jiva. Scripture is ultimately for the benefit of the jiva. But to do that, then the jiva has to follow certain rules. He has to follow a certain process. So therefore we have rules and regulations uh, of different sorts uh, stated in the scriptures. Uh, so in this way, the, uh, uh, we have here the highest stage of complete bliss. Uh, and the, to, just to illustrate that, we have the symptoms of Prahlad described, so we understand what is that type of bliss that exists in the spiritual realm. Huh? So Prahlad, though he was five years old, was very advanced. He was not covered up material energy at all. He was uh, completely absorbed in the Supreme Lord at all times. So. Uh, He was uh, highly advanced in terms of devotion, and therefore he naturally uh, manifested these different symptoms of bliss. So that's the position that we have to aspire for, uh, come up to that level. This uh, uh, section, this particular canto, seventh canto, is largely about Prahlad and Hrani Kasipu and Nrsimadev. And if we look closely, um, Vishnu Chakravarti analyzes this as the seventh canto, uh, being the topic of uti. Uh, There are 10 topics in the Bhagavatam, starting with sarga and visarga, and uh, stana, and poshana, and uti is one of them. (laughs) So uti means impulses. Uh, So it's explained that this means that within the universe, there are two basic natures. Demons and devotees. <laughs> the demons are the ones who don't like the Lord and they will prosecute, uh, uh, they will torture the devotees and whatever, and harass the devotees, uh, they will attack the Supreme Lord as we see in Renekasipu Shirm- uh, uh, attacks Nishirmadev or Ranyaksha attacks uh, Varaha. Uh, so we have the, the, the demonic element in the universe and we have the uh, deva influence, the devotees, uh, represented by devatas and Brahma and devotees like Prahlad, etc. Uh, so this becomes the topic of the uh, Seventh Canto, um, personified in the form of Prahlad as the devotee and Randikasipu as the demon. <laughs> but we see that that duality, dichotomy of persons, uh, is inherent within the universe. We have those that like the Lord and those that don't, don't like the Lord, two types. We don't consider animals because they're not a higher intelligence. But when we get to the higher level of human beings, etc., and David does, then we have this idea of two types of people: those that accept the Lord, those who don't accept the Lord. And what happens? They fight. <laughs> conflict is there. Of course the devotees don't want to fight, but it's the demons that want to fight. <laughs> so we get constant conflict within the universe because of that. Huh? We see when Brahma carries out the creation at the very beginning of creation, okay, he creates all the devatas and Narada Munis there and Shiva comes out and uh, the sages, great sages come out, but also the demons come out at the same time, from the very beginning of the creation of Brahma, we have demons there. And they continue throughout the whole of the uh, day of Brahma and the life of Brahma. We have the demons there. Uh, Of course we know that Prakriti is made up of tamas, rajas and sattvas, so all the lower modes are always there, so it's represented by a certain class of people. So certain jivas take those bodies and they become demons and uh, they carry out their activities. So, throughout the whole life of Brahma, we'll have the devotees and the demons. And then we get the conflict between them, because the demons want to take control and suppress the devotees and the devatas, etc. Again, that's when Krishna came. Why? Because Kamsa tried to take control. And the devatas are complaining, we, well, we can't do have sacrifices, suppressing the brahmanas, everything like this. So, then Krishna came. Uh, so, this is a constant conflict within the universe between the good and the bad elements, so to speak, eh? the um, demons and the devotees of the Lord. Uh, of course, we can, on a broader level, we can say this is the whole nature of existence itself. We have a spiritual world, all devotees. We have a material world, basically all demons. <laughs> but there's no conflict because the demons can't get to the spiritual world. <laughs> Only when the Lord comes to this material world, then the demon's gonna attack the Lord, etc. So that's completely separate. Huh? But in this material world, then there are devotees, and the Lord makes sure that they're there at all times, from the beginning of creation also. And He even empowers some like Narada Muni to keep there and preach, whatever, inspire others. He has great sages, the Davidas are there. So they create some stability there. But at the same time, we do have the tamasic and rajasic elements always rising up and challenging. I just described in Mm Gita how sometimes sattva is prominent, everything is peaceful, sometimes rajas and tamas become prominent and then the demons get powerful and they start rising up, conquering the devatas, getting control of the universe. (laughs) It's uh, in Brihad Bhagavatam it says even sometimes the demons get up to brahmaloka course for a short time, but they don't last very long, but they get up there also, so. Uh, the nature of material world is the gunas are always changing and consequently sometimes the demons get powerful and they cause problems. So this is a constant feature of the material world. There's conflict taking place on all levels. So it is not surprising therefore that we'll have all these stories like uh, uh, Nishimadev and Trani Kasipu fighting because Uh, This is something which is part of the material world. When the conflict becomes too great, and the devitas lose control, so to speak, then they may call on the Supreme Lord, and he will interfere, and he comes as Avatar. So that's why Krishna comes, Rama comes, etc., to stabilize the situation again. So over and over, (laughs) the Lord has to create that equilibrium again, bring everything back to balance. And therefore, Krishna says, yadaya dharmas, yadaya when there is disruption of dharma, then again and again I come into this material world, and yuga after yuga. You know? So we see there's an arrangement, and it's also described in the Bhagavatam, starting in the third canto onwards, how the Lord appears as avatars in all the different Manvantara periods, starting from Swayambhu Manvantara up to our Vaivasata Manvantara, over and over again, the Lord keeps appearing. Why? It's Stabilize things because the demons start getting too powerful. So then he puts things back to order, and then balance is there again. Uh, so that conflict is always there uh, within this material world, uh, on this larger level of devotees and demons. Um, demons, of course, maybe we characterize them as huge creatures with big teeth. <laughs> laughing harshly and roaring and like that, as depicted in movies or whatever. But not necessarily so. <laughs> they may also have uh, great beauty, etc., uh, and great strength, etc., very, very heroic, etc. But it's their mentality which is the demonic element that is, that is the problem. Huh? So uh, this uh, conflict is always there. Uh, between the groups. So that's interplanetary, we can say, conflicts. The Davidists are up there, the demons are down here, and then the demons rise up and they try to take over the upper regions and then the Davidists have to push them back down again. <laughs> so location-wise, there is, in terms of Lokas, there's a conflict there. The lower people and the upper people, and they're trying to take control of the upper planets, like that. Uh, Sarani who wants to get control, like get a position like Brahma or something. Uh, so, uh, this is the nature of the world. That, that's the big conflict, but then of course we have the literal conflicts that take place within like, let's say, our particular yuga or whatever like that, in our particular domain where we get this people of all sorts and some are of the demonic, tamasic state, some are more sattvic, some are devotional, and we're going to get conflicts there also, which is on a lower level, but nevertheless conflict. Huh? Uh, so, then we, so then we get uh, wars in the material world also, huh? due to uh, different ideologies, etc., and different gunas operating yeah. and then of course, within countries themselves we get conflicts of people, different people having conflicts like that, and then we have conflicts within the individual. <laughs> we have the demonic element versus the good element within people, and they're always at war with each other, one taking control at one time, the other taking control the other time. Yeah. so that conflict between the let 's say the, the the diva element and the Asuric element is there on all levels, the personal level, and then the larger level, and the country level, and the world level, and then the local level, etc. Huh? And it goes on for the whole life of Brahma. And when everybody's exhausted, he puts them all to sleep, <laughs> they have a big rest. <laughs> no more worlds, no more locals, no more countries, no more bodies, nothing, go to sleep. Hmm? But they still have those tendencies to, you know, operate within the gunas and have conflicts, etc. So he puts them back to life again and they start all over again. And they start again. We have the demons, we have the devotees from the beginning of the Day of Brahman, and it goes on again. <laughs> conflict, conflict, conflict. <laughs> so, uh, that's the nature of the material world. It's very unstable. And, of course, Krishna says he makes the best deal of a bad bargain, so to speak, by trying to stabilize things. and. Uh, the gunas operate, and sometimes, you know, sattva is prominent, sometimes Rajas or Thomas is prominent. Uh, if things is too bad, then he comes himself and rectifies the situation. In any case, the whole, what we learn from this is that ultimately, the material world is not a good place to live in. <laughs> we can't escape the conflict. So even if you're on loka, which is the best, you cannot escape the conflict. And Brahma himself says, yeah, you think I'm so nice up here, I'm secure, but no, demons start coming up and have to worry. They start attacking me. I have to worry about this. I get anxiety. It's not perfect up here also. It's all temporary. So therefore the conflict is there and through that we should realize the um, unnatural state of this material world. So we want a position where uh, there is eternal happiness, eternal bliss. But even the demons are trying to get that. That's what Randy Kasipu wants. He wants eternal happiness. That's why he wants to control the whole universe and not die. <laughs> because he wants eternal happiness But. The, uh, the happiness of the material world, or the idea that I get my happiness within the material world, this is the whole illusion. It's impossible. So it's impossible for Rani Kasipu or anybody else, no matter how clever they are, no matter how long they live, and no matter how strong they are, they cannot get eternal happiness. They're bound to fail. Yeah? Uh, so, the, the uh, intelligent person will therefore understand through all of these stories in the Bhagavatam um, that we do have to uh, find a solution, because as I said, our nature is to have eternal happiness, but it's not going to work by this method. Anything in the material world, whether it's Srandikasipu, trying to be eternal and have his happiness, or whether it's scientists trying to invent a new method of making your body eternal or whatever, it's not going to work. You will maybe get longer, longer life, but you won't get that eternal happiness. Yeah. So the scriptures offer that solution to us. Yeah? Unfortunately, the scriptures also give us partial solutions, like candy. <laughs> so they give us the karma yoga and all the karma kanda and all this, like little candy to pacify you a little bit, uh, because you can't take the full medicine. So they give you some, you know. substitutes. So we have to look very carefully to get the real medicine, the real solution to everything. The real solution is actually in the Bhagavatam. Though it does present karma yoga, Ganyoga, yoga, stanga yoga, also it definitely discards them all and says, no, this is not what you should do. So therefore Bhagavatam presents that process by which we can get that eternal happiness and that is through the process of bhakti. And the ideal here is Pralad, who represents the deva aspect, or the devotee aspect, who, and he's opposed by Rani Kasipu, his own father, huh? and they have big conflict. Uh, so, uh, of course, Pralad looks a little hopeless because he's simply a small child. But, because he is a devotee, a performing bhakti, he's got all these wonderful symptoms, he's always remembering the Lord, Supreme Lord always remembers him. So, not only we have the conflict between the devotees and the demons, but on the top we have the Supreme Lord, so the devotees will always win, because they have the Supreme Lord on their side. So therefore they have no fear of the demons in the material world. So, Prahlad uh, is famous for, what's his process of bhakti? Smaranam, remembrance. Why remembrance? Here he's doing everything. He's he's chanting, loudly calling, he's dancing. Why remembrance? Hmm? We see repeatedly his father tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff or, what is it, boiling him in oil, (laughs) attacking him with all sorts of weapons, whatever, poisoning him, whatever, all sorts of things. And what did Prahlad do? He remembered the Lord. He was constantly remembering the Lord and therefore nothing touched him. Huh? He threw him off the cliff. Prahlad didn't even resist. He was remembering the Lord. That's all. What happened? Lord saved him. <laughs> he didn't smash his head. <laughs> he fell off the, went off the cliff and the Lord saved him. Huh? So, he was constantly protected by the Lord because he was always remembering the Supreme Lord. So, uh, therefore, the ultimately, the devotee has nothing to fear, in spite of the fact that the material world is a, a disturbing place. Because there is the protection of the Lord there at all times, in any form, whether it's Vishnu or Krishna or whoever. So that's what we learn from this particular story. Uh, the uh, process, as I said, outlined in the Bhagavatam is that uh, bhakti is the final process. Yeah? And then, if we look closely, we find the different methods are there. And uh, the uh, ultimate process is nam sankirtan, chanting the name of the Lord, as presented by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, also the Yuga Dharma for Kali Yuga presented in the Bhagavatam. Yeah? So, uh, all of this leads us to that eternal happiness in the spiritual world. Uh, uh, So that is the, we can say, the essence of all the scriptures. Though the scriptures are vast, ultimately the conclusion conclusion is very simple. Uh, We have a simple process to follow, and the goal also is very simple. Though it is deep, it is also simple. We get eternal happiness through different processes. And we have these different symptoms as exhibited by, by Prahlad, where he has no problem, even though he's in the material world and he's in the worst position because he has a father who's trying to murder him at every moment. <laughs> but he's completely peaceful. How is it possible? Because he's a devotee of the Lord, because he's remembering the Lord, because he's chanting the name of the Lord. So that's the lesson we should learn from this particular incident and all these descriptions here we have of uh, Prahlad Maharaj. Okay, any question there? In uh, the character of Prahlad Maharaj, we see that um
1: <coughs> symptoms of ecstasy. Or, you know, essentially, it is a description of the bodies showing ecstatic symptoms, and they're just, uh, they're just part of society, mm.
2: part of the culture.
1: Yeah. But um, we're discouraged from, yeah. from
2: exhibiting any of these.
1: see devotees with these kind of symptoms or should we um, discover
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You know the, yeah. the um,
1: exhibition of such symptoms. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, these symptoms are symptoms that manifest in bhava and prema, not in sadhana. Huh? So we have sattvika bhavas largely, uh, crying and fainting and trembling of the body, hair standing on end, choking of the voice, except their change of color, there's like, you know, uh, eight principal ones and other ones which are sure maybe more intense, they're manifested by Lord Chaitanya. But uh, those are the main ones. So those are sattvika bhavas, which will manifest slightly in bhava and intensely in prema. And even these uh, sattvika bhavas have various levels of intensity. So the beginning stages, they can be repressed. But as they become more intense with the intensity of prema, they cannot be suppressed. You can't can't hide them anymore. They just manifest and you're you're helpless. But that means you have very, very strong prema, in other words. So, if we were in sadhana then, we will not expect such manifestations. There is uh, what we call uh, this abhas, bhava bas or sattvika abhas, or whatever, which can be completely material. It is conscious imitation of those symptoms, so that people will think you're advanced. So that's what happens, particularly in Bengal, I guess. <laughs> people will cry and whatever, and faint and roll on the ground during kirtan, and then people will start worshipping them as being very advanced devotees in prema. But practically speaking, they're not on that level. They're still in the material world, and they don't even know the difference between Krishna and a Devata or Brahman or anything. They have no real philosophical understanding at all, but they're just doing kirtan as a profession or something, and they do that. So. This is one of the reasons why uh, Śrīla Prabhupāda and Bhakti Siddhānta and Bhakti Vinodotāku are all kind of discouraged, you know, these symptoms because it's often imitation, and that's cheating, ultimately. Hmm. Now, there is another abhās, bhāva-bhās, or whatever, which is not intentional cheating, so we get like a shadow of ecstatic symptoms that can manifest in people who are doing sadhana because they have a very soft heart. So they may cry, or they may faint even, huh? uh, slightly, uh, due to their, you know, um, performance of bhakti, and they get a little bit of taste, and so they have um, what look like ecstatic symptoms. But it's not real. Safika Bhavas, it's a, a shadow of that only. Huh? So that is not, uh, we can say, it's not uh, something to be condemned in itself, huh? uh, because it's not mm, ill-motivated. <laughs> huh? Us, but uh, it has to be, you'll say, purified and come to a real level of, you know, Bhavas later on, in Bhava and Prema. Yeah. So mainly because of the imitation aspect, I think we, we discourage it. Yeah. If anyone comes to a higher level, then naturally these things will manifest. To some degree, you can suppress them. When they get very strong, it's, one cannot suppress them.
1: So we can expect to see them at some point in time in devotees and
0: if, if they we'll advance see. to that stage, if they get yeah. to Bhava and Prema, if they get to that level, yeah. Bhava of course means that then actually you can see the Lord sometimes, not always, but sometimes you get a vision of the Lord. Actually, you could see the Lord. <laughs> then you start getting those symptoms. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he's separated, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because the irony of actually is not
0: a day peace of divine. Oh, well, that's a special case, apparently. It's not that every day of Brahma, Jaya and Vijaya come into the material world. Usually it's just regular demons taking those roles. It's not that Jaya and Vijaya are, you know, that, it's not a special arrangement like that. So it's just regular conflicts of tamasic elements with <laughs> Supreme Lord and the devotees but um, the, the creation is part of Krishna's
1: yes. um, yeah. personality, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, person, person yeah. yeah. And um, um, he, he's, at you my know, he's totally self-satisfied in the spiritual world. Yeah. And yet even in the spiritual world, he said it's confident. Oh, Yeah. And, <laughs> and mm. it, And then he comes, you know, his compassionate nature is such that he comes out of the perfect spiritual world and comes into the material world to to bring the even the demons, you know, those who are fallen. He he feels even though he doesn't have to, but he does feel for me. And so therefore he comes into the material world. That automatically means there's going to be conflict.
0: Uh, in one sense, but of course it's not he's provoking conflict. He usually comes because there is already a conflict and he's trying to resolve it and bring a balance back. That's one thing. The other is that he makes the promise, I protect my devotee. So in the case of Prahlad, obviously, <laughs> because he was trying to kill him all the time, so it's the obligation of the Lord. Uh, his, if he doesn't do it, he's a real debtor, so he has to act. He's obliged to Uh, do this for his devotee also. And though the Lord is neutral, not Marama and whatever and Sama to everything at the same time, he says, I prefer my devotee. I'm not Sama when it comes to my devotee. I I like my devotee and I'll protect him and whatever it means, I'll do anything to save him. So that's, uh, we can say, we can take that the spiritual world because the Lord is controlled by the devotees there, even though he's independent and supreme. He's under the control of the devotees. So. Uh, we can take it as a bad quality; it makes the Lord not independent. But actually, it's a good quality, because the Lord is independent. Then he's completely aloof from everybody, and that's a bad quality. So
2: <laughs>
0: when he's completely, you know, soft and melts for his devotees, that's a very good quality. So because of that, then all these things will happen. He comes in the material world. He saves the devotee. He kills the demon. He does all this. When he kills the demon, he doesn't do it out of hatred. The devotee may get liberated, may go to the spiritual world, even the demon may go. So, It's not out of hatred he does that, but it benefits everybody. So in the spiritual world there's a type of conflict, as I mentioned the other day, uh, and there's, uh, well, we'll fine, okay, Chandravali and Radharani are fighting <laughs> conflict, they're all sad, why is it so perfect? <laughs> but that is like just an arrangement within the harmony of the spiritual world itself, and the bliss everybody's a devotee, there are these, what would look like conflicts, that produce greater bliss. That's all. So they just create, great, they resolve and they create greater bliss. Huh? As in the case of the Raslila, uh, Krishna disappeared with Radharani. then these other gopis, oh look at those footprints, that gopis is so selfish. Ugh. And they start criticizing her. She's gone off with Krishna and she's forgetting about us. <laughs> start criticizing her. Then they find that Radharani's got left behind. Also, <laughs> she's lying on the ground there, fainting and crying. And then all the Gopis forget everything, and they're all together, and they're all, you know, cooperating with each other. They all go looking for Krishna, and they're all friendly again. So, these symptoms of so-called conflict are resolved very easily, and it's only there to produce some sort of, um, let's say, intensity of their love, more intensity in their love. In the material world, it doesn't it doesn't resolve. <laughs> The conflict doesn't naturally resolve and everything becomes peaceful. It just keeps going on forever, the conflicts. (laughs) And it's not because of Krishna, it's because of the jivas in the modes, that's why. But still, the Lord tries to make sattva on top and favors that even. And He's in charge of sattva also. So he tries to keep the balance there, and at least some sattva is preserved, in spite of the fact that there is Thomas and Rajas there. But why? Because people are jivas like tamas, jivas like Rajas. So therefore, he he provides it for them. He fulfills their desires in the material world, also. So that's the type of kindness, also. Of course, you say it <laughs> ultimately causes their suffering, but they want it, so he gives it to them. Another question? Yeah. Maharaj, yeah. that scriptures are generally the benefit the and ultimately they
1: lead the purpose of the scriptures is to lead you to general happiness. Yes.
2: All these things mentioned in the scriptures, and um, they might actually, you know, not want to pursue the path of transcendence or actually they go away because they come to the state, and it's too much for them to accept these extraordinary things in the mentioned, and the faith gets shaken up, and they say that oh, this is not possible. So mm-hmm. then they tend to sort of away you know, the path. So, then how do we understand that yes, scriptures are for the benefit of people?
0: No, oh, So uh, the question is why we have these descriptions of the Bhagavatam, um, if it makes people lose their faith. Is that, is that the question? Well, um, in ancient times, nobody seemed to have lost their faith over this. It's only with the advent of modern science, where they say, okay, the Earth is a, a big globe and it's spinning around, the sun, going, rotating around the sun, and then there's the other planets out there in the solar system, and then there's the galaxy, and then there's the whole universe. So we have a modern conception of what is reality, based, and that conception is not proven at all. It's simply based upon what your textbooks are telling you in school, <laughs> basically, because that's all we learn. You know, We learn what's in the school and that. And uh, it, it's a conception. We can't say it's false, but it's only one way of looking at reality and looking at the universe and looking at the world. That's all. And it wasn't there 200 years ago or 300 years ago. It started with maybe Copernicus and Galileo and they started doing this way like that, a Newton, whatever. It wasn't there before that. The Greeks had a very something kind of like the Bhagavatam with the spheres and things like this all very harmoniously and everything was laid out very geometrically and harmonious. And that's the general conception of all ancient scriptures that everything is uh, planned out very harmoniously. It's not chaotic. It's not by chance. Everything is planned out harmonious proportions, uh, the, everything the symmetrically, you know, arranged within the universe. So that's basically what the Bhagavatam presents. There's so many Yojin is across, same as high. In the middle we have Mount Meru, then we have the Dweepas twice as big as the next one, twice as big as the next one, twice as big as the next one, filling up half of it, then the rest is all blackness or whatever. So everything is symmetrically laid up, then we have upper levels and we have lower levels. So, uh, In this way, uh, we have a presentation of an organized creation, not a haphazard. As for the details, maybe you have difficulty understanding about the mango tree, or the milk ocean, or the yogurt ocean, or the ghee ocean, or the liquor ocean, or the sugarcane ocean, whatever. Like, how is it possible to get all that sugarcane, or whatever? Where does does the sugarcane come from? Where's the big machine to make the juice, and whatever? How do they replace the juice when it ferments, and whatever? So we get logical questions like that. Uh, But uh, as I said, in ancient times, the sages were not unintelligent. Vasudeva wasn't unintelligent, Sukadeva wasn't intelligent, the later Acharya's weren't unintelligent, but they didn't question, they didn't say, well, why is it like this? It can't be so. Where does the yogurt come from? Where do the cows come from to make the yogurt? And where does the yogurt come from the milk? And how do they get the ghee? They must have a big stove someplace to make the ghee. <laughs> so, they didn't ask questions like that at all. They simply accepted it. But it doesn't mean they were unintelligent, like small children. So. It's just a different perception of the material world as we know it. Yeah. So the hope is that if we become advanced, not even spiritual, but even more materially advanced, maybe we can understand this at a certain point in time. And we'll understand that what the scientists are giving us now, and that is actually not the truth either. It's something else. Because their conception of this universe is all based upon, you know, mathematical concepts and physical concepts within three dimensions of time at the moment. So. The universe is not like that, it's actually beyond that. But in our limited body, we're like only thinking like that. So, Mara,
2: if someone's faith has gone into this, how do we then instill that faith
0: back in the spiritual state? If someone's lost their faith because of the use of descriptions in their existence? Yeah, well, to begin with, if we were going to take the spiritual life, we do have to have a leap of faith to some degree, because I guess you can just say the saying about why is Krishna blue? How you can prove he's blue, why does he not wear, play a piano instead of using a flute? Well, you know, you can ask all sorts of questions about Krishna. Why peacock feather? Why not an ostrich feather, or whatever? <laughs> you can have doubts about everything. So we do have to limit our, you know, our, put our faith in the scripture itself. We simply accept some things as true. We can't just, why does Krishna say this why does, in the Bhagavad Gita? We can't question every statement he makes and say, why does he say that? Faith means we accept it, that's all. And, and it's good for us to accept and then we, we follow the path to get the result. So there is faith involved. Uh, in all religions, the same thing. You take the Bible, they have to accept things on faith. Creation took place in this way, uh, the Supreme Lord, you know, manifested in the elements in this way and that way. And they have to accept it on faith. It's not provable scientifically. But even science itself is based on faith. Nobody can prove anything in science, ultimately. Yeah? We, can't even prove, we can't even prove what an atom is or a proton or an electron. We, we can't even prove it, really, ultimately. Because it doesn't have a location. It's, it's kind of nowhere. <laughs> Matter is nowhere. It's all space, in one sense, with little particles of energy someplace. So, you know, our whole conception of reality is based on one idea, but it's... it's it's not a fixed thing actually it's not an absolute even science is not absolute and many scientists appreciate that they know it's not absolute but because we are kind of brought up with that type of education okay this is how things are then we think this is this is this is the only way to look at things this is the only truth but not when we accept uh, that we are uh, spiritual particles, and that there is a spiritual Lord, and there's a spiritual world, then we do have to expect there's going to be all sorts of things which are beyond our conception. And if we don't accept that, then (laughs) we're going to bring things back down to a material level, and then we kind of reject everything.
2: So the uh, Pralad Maharaj was uh, constantly remembering the Lord all the time, mm-hmm. but um, it's not so easy for us day to day, like remember the Lord all the time. So, um, so what do you, to get that type of smaran? Is it possible to get that
0: type of smaran in our bhakti, or how do we, how do we develop, cultivate smaran? Yeah, well, not just smaran. Any process of bhakti it should be continuous somehow, even if it's not smaran, it might be kirtan or anything, but The idea is that, uh, as much as possible, in sadhana, in our practice, we try to do more and more, uh, so we can ultimately think of the Lord more. Uh, It's not going to be perfect, obviously, because we're beginning with all sorts of distractions and uncontrolled mind. So as we advance, then we get more concentration, uh, more constancy in our remembrance, etc. The only perfect state will be prema, ultimately, which is the last state. But we have a gradual progress to that level. And the more we uh, develop that remembrance, the greater is the bliss. So that acts as an impetus to do it more. So the more we advance and the greater is the impetus to advance because the experience of bliss is there more and more.
1: You mentioned, at the end of the class, the um, second time process. Um, we need impetus or inspiration to keep following the practice of uh, the practices and getting the point of remembrance. And um, it seems that the five primary practices are essential for us. Yeah. Because they give us access to claim that even though we're not qualified for that. And if we don't do those things, then we'll just we'll dry out, we'll, we'll become discouraged. we will just unin un- un- so So yeah. kind of underlines the, um, the importance of Mahaprabhu's appearance.
0: And he's emphasizing the process of Sankirtan. Yeah. 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 Uh, We find that the process of Sankirtan is the main process. We say, you know, Harinama, Vikevalam, etc. But that doesn't mean we reject everything else. (laughs) So we do have the five principal elements, one of which is the Nam Sankirtan. But we see that to get prema with Nam Sankirtan, then you do have to have knowledge. You do have to have the hearing process. You do have to follow scripture. Yeah. So therefore hearing is very necessary. Bhagavatam very necessary also to support the kirtan. So we get the proper results. So we clear up our misconceptions. So we have the proper identity of who is the Lord and who is Krishna. Huh? Uh, so the shravanam very important. But then the shravana only takes place also with sadhusanga. We get that Shravanam, through another devotee, and they tell us the meaning of Scripture. So the three things very closely come together. And then we have deity worship, which is the second, archana is a secondary process for us, but we do see, for instance, Nectar Devotion, a lot of the elements there of the 64 Angas involve deity worship also. (laughs) So, uh, uh, though it is secondary to Nam Sankirtan, it is often advised, and all we see most of the Acharyas had deities also. Yeah? Like Goswami had deities, Vishnu Chakravarti had deities, Baladivadivus had deities, everybody had deities also, so they didn't neglect the Archana process also. So it is uh, also quite, you could say, favorable, or we could say, um, useful also, because uh, it provides an opportunity for us to engage all of our senses and body in serving the Lord. So, very useful in that sense, and keep us occupied doing things for Krishna instead of other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, and th- then of course, we can identify the name with the deity, and in that way we can, we can realize quicker the form of the Lord in the name by seeing the deity. What about- Yeah, yeah. ja Yeah. yeah. Rather than go out on yeah, the street, yeah. go out on the street and do three hours of kirtan a day in the street, <laughs> you chant your sixteen rounds. Yeah, yes, yeah. And, 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 but it's like the because you know you can go and say, it down if you chant sixteen rounds. Mm. Together. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and yet, and we put so much effort into chanting
0: sixteen
1: rounds. Yet, yeah. Piled by an old chap down by their example, encouraged us to, to do second time.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, the the japa that we do is also a type of kirtan. <laughs> it's included within that sankirtan definition, actually, huh? uh, because of course we're uttering the name, etc., and we're usually not doing it completely mentally. We do have some audibility in it, uh, so it's considered part of the sankirtan. Uh, so it's important because uh... with that we can make a little vow of you know how many numbers how many rounds we can do like that so that keeps us in a certain level of sadhana for that reason is quite important for us and through that then we can do smaranam etc. also eh? the smaranam is included within that so in that sense very, quite important for us yeah. but it's included within namsankirtana itself it's not a separate thing
1: if you don't do it, then your
0: Yeah. And it's particularly for your own development and purification. Whereas the kirtan is for you, but for everybody else as well. This is particularly for yourself, so it's good as a sadhana for yourself.
3: Hmm. Uh, Maharaj, you mentioned about how uh, devotees on the advanced stages um <coughs> of prema um they can't really stop the exhibition so how did how did pravas managed to sort of not exhibit this the
2: sentences uh an occasional exhibition of it from like he
0: was mm. yeah later? yeah it, we can also see this maybe in the example of uh, nardhamuni he's Mahabhagavata and of course the Mahabhagavata and if he's an uttamatikari then he doesn't preach and he's just exhorting ecstasy whatever <laughs> but we see that Narada Muni's going all around the universe playing as Veda and he's preaching everywhere uh, so he comes down to it looks like he's a madhyama not he's an uttama so that's uh, it's explained that uh, we have general characteristics of uttamas but then there's also exceptional cases so that they will do other activities, like preaching, and then they start making differentiation, this is a diva, this is not a de- you know, this is, this is a devotee, etc., and they preach based on that. So, Narada Muni is an example of that, like an exceptional case, where he is uttama, but he doesn't look like he's an uttama, because he's making distinctions, in preaching and whatever, not always exhibiting ecstatic symptoms, so, uh, the, by the Lord's arrangement then, certain devotees can uh, not exhibit or whatever, the, those symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Hare Krishna.
4: Go, not the
3: Krishna Hare 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 Hare
4: Okay